Do you ever catch yourself wishing you didn't have to stay positive? Or maybe you've been working on keeping a positive mindset for years, but it still feels like a daily battle sometimes. Having a chronic illness means you're being told to stay positive all the time. And let's be honest, it's exhausting. Because pushing ourselves to stay positive is not actually positive. There's a much easier way to get a strong, positive mindset and all of the feel-good perks that come with it without the pressure of looking on the bright side. Check out my free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset. In it, I give the straight scoop on strategies that work and common strategies that are a waste of time and energy. Go to andreahansencoaching.com now or use the link in this podcast description and get your free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset, today. This week's podcast was so fun to make because I was talking to an old friend. Teresa Weaver was in my first workshop when I was just starting out as a coach. I was doing a workshop on positive psychology and the effects on mindset and chronic illness, and she was this bright light in the room. We've always stayed in touch through the years. Her story is really amazing, from being in the army to raising two daughters while living with multiple sclerosis and having often pretty serious symptoms. Whenever I need a little pick-me-up and inspiration, I go to Teresa's social media feed (laughs) because it's full of those feel-good truth bombs, like the ones that give you a little wink and a nod to the fact that life can be tough, but we can be tougher. I have to say, although I was researching and teaching the workshops on positive psychology and mindset, Teresa was the one who taught me what a true positive mindset looked like in the real world. Now you get a chance to experience that too. Please enjoy this week's episode and visit andreahansencoaching.com for more on Teresa Weaver, resources we talked about in the show, and transcripts from today's episode. Welcome to the Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis podcast. I'm Andrea Hansen, author, motivational speaker, and master certified coach. When I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I was told I would never reach my goals. But I did. And I'm on a mission to prove that life with a chronic illness can still be expansive and quite remarkable. Everyone has their own unique path. I'm talking to people living with a chronic illness that come from different backgrounds, have different points of view, and are achieving amazing life goals of all kinds to inspire you to achieve what you thought was impossible. These stories are raw, uncensored, and judgment-free. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. I am here today with Teresa Weaver, and Teresa is seriously one of the most authentic and positive people that I know. She's had a career path full of service and selflessness, starting in the United States Army, and then becoming an EMT, working at a children's hospital in DC. Now she's working with patients that have diabetes and high blood pressure. She's raised two incredible daughters, obviously loves family, loves traveling, and is just a pure joy to be around. I'm so excited to introduce you to Teresa Weaver. Welcome, Teresa. Good morning, Andrea. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. We were just talking. I I cannot remember. It's been about eight years since I met you. Does that sound right? It's been a it long time. sounds right. My gosh, long, long time. You went to one of my very, very first programs when I was like a little baby coach. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. It was great, though. We had a lot of fun. 
And actually, I'm going this Friday and Saturday. They're having one in Fort Worth. And then the next day, they will have one in Dallas. So oh. I'll miss seeing you there. You won't oh. be in either one of them. I know. No, I won't. That sounds great, though. What's the, what's the workshop on? Actually, it is on living with MS and succeeding with MS. So depending on which one you go to. So I'm excited about both. Yeah. So you have done you have done so much. We were talking the other day and I had to like stop. I was like, we should have been recording this conversation. <laughs> because <laughs> like, we just started talking. I was like, this could be the podcast. I should have just recorded it. <laughs> I love we it when that happens. Well, a lot of good stuff. I know. It was a lot of good stuff. So let's try to recreate that. <laughs> but you've done your your career, first and foremost, has been pretty amazing starting in the U.S. Army. And I see you're wearing your Army alum <laughs> t-shirt. <laughs> I am. I am wearing my U.S. Army DD-214 alumni shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about that. You were in the Army before you got diagnosed with MS. That is, is that correct? correct? Mm-hmm. That is correct. I was not diagnosed until a little while after I got the military. I should have gotten diagnosed while I was in the military because I had a lot of migraines. I had the kind of migraines that would actually, I would actually pass out. I passed out during, during a PT test before. That's how bad oh my, my migraines were. Well, I had I no idea had, that you could pass out from migraines. I did. Wow. Because we would, I would wake up in the morning and I would have a severe migraine and I would still go out and try to do PT. And yeah, I've, I've gone to the hospital, Manigan Hospital on, <laughs> at Fort Lewis several times. I've been placed in dark rooms several times at the troop medical clinic for migraines. So I should have gotten diagnosed that um, at that time. But however, that's not the way the military works. Right, right. And I think that's such a common story for so many of us that we, especially, I can't speak to other, and I'm, I'm sure other diagnoses are like this too, but with MS, it's like things come and then they go, mm -hmm. and then they come and then they go. And when they're there, if we don't happen to see somebody who knows what's going on or has seen it before, or who takes the extra effort to do testing or try to figure it out, it, it's not going to be found. I, I think I went at least a year before I was actually diagnosed. And in the right. Army, that must have been, because so, you're doing way more than I was doing <laughs> during, <laughs> during the year that I wasn't diagnosed. <laughs> Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> we would wake up in the morning. It was It's no joke when we say that you wake up at four and we do more than most people by nine or 10. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I was doing a lot. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so you were, you left the army and then you were diagnosed. Talk about how that actually happened. That was an interesting episode. I had a seizure while I was in school, and that was the first time after the seizure that I had ever had a MRI done. Mm. <laughs> and at that time, they said that I had a mass on the top of my brain, which may have been the cause of me having the seizure. And then from there, 
we went on and they did lots of tests. And then from there, I started, I woke up one day and it was really interesting because I was going to take my daughter to school and we were sitting in the car. And she said, I told her, I said, is it dark? And she said, no, mommy, it's not dark. Let's go to school. And I was like, it really looks dark. And she's no, mommy, it's not dark. Hurry up and get me to school. And so I'm driving along and everything just looks really small and it looked really dark outside. So I drove to work like this. And on that day is when the beginning of my, as I said, I won't say it's a nightmare, but it was like a total change to my life that I never would have thought would have occurred because I really loved my job and it is a traumatic experience when you're doing something that you love and all of a sudden it like it's like a accident or like you hit a brick wall but on that day my sight didn't get any better so I called my primary care doctor and she suggested that I go see a ophthalmologist and I'm thinking like okay so I go to an ophthalmologist and who goes to the ophthalmologist and you're at the office, you're in the office for four hours. I've never known anybody to go to an eye doctor and you're there for four hours. Yeah, that's a little extreme. So <laughs> they had me do all these matching things. I never, I didn't even know ophthalmologists did. They had all these like blocks with different colors. They had these books with different colors and all this other stuff, things that I had never done when I've gone to an eye doctor. And then... Mm-hmm. I said, after I'm sitting there and finally, just while all the patients are gone and I'm called back and I'm told that I need to go to the hospital, <laughs> like, what am I going to the hospital for? And he explains to me that I have optic neuritis and I'm thinking like, what is that? How does that happen? And he tries to explain to me how it happens, but to me, it still doesn't make any sense. Right. Because one, I had never heard of that before. Who walks around and says, I have optic neuritis? I, yeah. Like, the rare yeah. diagnosis, even today, that I hear of people saying that they have. So I went and this was the beginning. I get there and they refer me to a neurologist. And so I go there and I get a, I get a butterfly put in my arm and then I have to go back three days and I'm like, why am I coming back three days? So I'm still trying to figure this this thing out. And I didn't really like that neurologist, but that's when the beginning of everything started occurring. And it was just really strange because I'm thinking, well, this is just something that's temporary. Well, my optic neuritis didn't clear for almost a month. And I, at that time, I couldn't drive. And at the time my kids were younger, they were doing their whole thing stuff like that. I couldn't drive. There are a lot of limitations on my life. And that was, it was scary because I've never been told that I couldn't drive because I couldn't see. My peripheral vision was just horrible. I didn't want to hurt anybody. Definitely didn't want to hurt myself. So it was just a lot. And me having to depend on people, that was a lot also because I don't like depending on people. Um, for me, having to depend on someone, a lot of times I feel that when you depend on people, sometimes I, I feel that when these people that you're depending on, they're just doing it for you out of pity or they really don't want to be bothered. 
Now, they may, that may not be true, but just in my head, I'm thinking that. So I just prefer not to ask anybody and just do my own thing. Mm-hmm. So that was a really hard thing for me at that time. Yeah, that's often one of the first things that we are thrust, I'm going to say, into when we're, mm-hmm. especially when we're diagnosed with something that has immediately limited our capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the same. I was diagnosed with optic neuritis. That's how I was diagnosed with MS was finally having, but I, I was the same. Couldn't really see. And it took about a month and and I was depending a lot on other people. And I think it's a very common experience to all of a sudden have to be depending on other people and Mm -hmm. asking for help. And when you're not used to it, often it's we're very independent and we're not used to it and we don't know. And all of a sudden it's, I don't know about you, but with me, it's like when I was first diagnosed, I just instantly, it was all of this insecurity and all of this, Mm -hmm. I mean, your whole world has changed. And along with it, your whole understanding of your own identity within this world has changed. And then you're still having to do something completely different, which is asking for help from everybody yep. and anybody and depending on other people. And so, of course, it's it's natural to wonder, well, what do they think of me? Because I don't know what I think of me right now. Right. So what can they possibly think of me? And right. it can it can really just turn your life upside down. Very much so. And even today, I still feel that a lot of things that I go through, people still don't understand because they're not familiar. And I don't know if they have no desire to become familiar or what, but it's not like people having the knowledge of breast cancer or lung cancer or even Alzheimer's. People have more knowledge of those things nowadays than they do MS. So it would be nice if people would go out and get the knowledge because there are more people that have it than people realize. But yeah. look at, okay, if the disease or the issue that you have isn't visible, then you don't have anything wrong with you. So I feel that's another reason why people don't take out the time also to get become familiar with um, MS, how it works and things like that. You bring up a really good point. It's so, for so many of us, our MS is invisible, which means you can't just to look at us, you don't know. And I always say, you never know if I'm looking at you with two eyes or one. Right. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. (laughs) And a lot of of times it hits people with fatigue and sensitivity to things like heat and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Like you, again, you can't see that. All you know is that somebody's acting differently Mm -hmm. or doesn't want to hang out and that can that can be a lot of different things and so it does it does put us i think in that position of being the educator with exactly. people and and some people frankly don't care some people don't want to be educated some people don't but i found that for me one of these things one of the things that has happened to me is that my my circle so to speak mm-hmm. is much more closer, much closer, much stronger. Like my people are my people and they get me and they ask and I can educate and they want to know. And it's, it's something that's really, I found has, has narrowed my, my group, my, my group of friends, but in a good way. Is this something that you've noticed? When you narrow those, when you narrow your group down, because those people that are 
your friends and are in that close knit, those people will coordinate things or do things that they know that will not harm you. And when I say harm you, I'm not mean, oh my God, I'm going to stab you or kick you or something. <laughs> I mean, harm you as in they know your, your, as far as your medical situation, they know right. your limitation. So it's not like you got to pretend or anything like that around them. You can be yourself. So therefore, they will plan things that are indoors. They will plan things that are early in the morning or late in the evening. They will plan things, like I said, that are indoors. Like in my case, heat is my kryptonite. So I cannot um, be out in the sun, which it, which in turn, as I was telling you, I just got back. I had to run to the store and I got out extra early and I'm back in and I won't be going back out anymore today. Yeah. It, so... It, Going back, talking about when you were diagnosed and, and we talk about how it, like it, everything seems to change mm-hmm. in our life. It's not just like one thing that we're dealing with, with a lot of different things. Talk to me more about what happened and how you, how did you process it? What helped you move through that, that initial trauma of really well, having that diagnosis? Well, it was like a, a death. Um, no, I didn't die per se, but yeah. I did die on the inside because my whole life changed in so many ways that I'd never imagined. Again, I love my job. I thought that I would be working till I was 70 years old <laughs> and that's how much I love my job. And so to no longer be able to drive, no longer be able to do your job. So therefore, a li- little by little, things started chipping away as far as what I could and couldn't do. So as those things started chipping away, it started chipping away at my self-esteem. Mm-hmm. It started chipping away on my uh, emotions, my mental capacity, just a lot of things. And you're talking about Depression, that's depression because you lose so much. And I know a lot of people say, well, you can get another job. You can have people drive you, but that's not even the case. The case is that these are things that you're used to doing because at that point, when those things change, that means that now you've got to rely on more people for those things. And me not really understanding that there was another way to do what I was doing before, I didn't acknowledge that. But being told that now you have this disease and now you are losing strength or you've lost strength on your right side, which I still deal with. I have only 45% of my vision in my right eye. Those are things that you say, wait a minute, I'm too young for this. I still have a family. There's things that I still want to do. I love to travel. I love to go. And it was just traumatic because now all these stuff got forced right off the bat. I didn't think there was an option (laughs) about how I was going to continue to live, making money financially, how I was going to continue to enjoy my kids and enjoy life. You just automatically think of all the bad things. Yeah. So it took me a while to get to the point of saying there is another way. And I'm not talking about when I say a while, I'm not talking about six months. I'm not talking about eight months. I'm talking about years before I finally said, 
enough is enough because realistically I was killing myself and I'm sure I was making my symptoms worse because I had gone into a deep depression because my life had changed. And uh, I just didn't expect that. Like I said, my <laughs> working to 70 was no longer there. Having to take money that you say, I'm going to keep this for, for retirement. Now you're thinking you got to take money. I'm th- I thank God that I was smart and did what my dad told me to do and save money for retirement. I thank God for that. But you just don't look at it like that. You're still yeah. thinking, oh my God, my, my life is gone. I don't yeah. have a life anymore. It's that loss of a perfect life. Right. And yeah, and we think we have the perfect life and no longer can have this perfect life. But now that I know there is no such thing as a perfect life, everybody that we see has an issue or concern. It may not be what we are dealing with as far as with MS, but everybody has an issue. They may not have to go to the doctor for that issue. But everybody has something that they are dealing with. And so we say we want to live a life like someone else. And we realize that that life that that someone else has and we hear their story or hear what they're going through is, I don't know if I I think I can handle this. I don't want to handle it. So, yeah, yeah, I'm going to totally butcher this. But my husband said something that I thought was really amazing. He says, look, if everybody in the room took their problems and put them in the center of the room, you would look at that and you would go and pick yours right back up and take them yep. back. <laughs> yep. Because we never know what other people, what, what, what's going on with other people. And, and a lot of times we have this idea when we're thinking of what our lives are going to be, mm-hmm. right? The, I love my job working until I'm, I'm 70. Um, you know, I was in school. I was like, I'm going to get my PhD. I'm going to do all these great things. Right. And we don't know. Like, we have this idea that our ourselves in our mind's eye in the future mm-hmm. is this perfect life and isn't having any problems or anything like that. And that's just not, that's just not true either. And I found myself, another thing I had to deal with, I've always done excellent in school. I mean, mm-hmm. Not to brag, but I've always been excellent <laughs> in school. And so now, or when I realized I had to learn because I was sitting for another certification, and then I, that was another like downer for me because, like I said, education and schooling and learning has always come easy for me, always. But when I was sitting and going through this refresher course, I got so disgusted with myself because my brain doesn't work the way that it did before. So it takes a whole lot of time for me to learn just one thing. I have to reread it and reread it and reread it over and over and over to learn things. And it's just hard for me to remember things, to catch on with things. And these were things that I knew, but a lot of it I had forgotten or no longer understood. And that threw me for a loop because now I'm sitting with a tutor. Yeah. I never needed a tutor before. (laughs) So I'm laughing at it. But when it was occurring, I was crying because it was really hard. And I just never thought that I would have to do that before. 
So that was another eye opener for me, knowing that now a lot of abilities that I once had in order for me to get to that level again, I've got to work triple times um, harder to get there. It, it no longer comes natural. It's no longer a everyday normal process for me. So that was another thing that put me in depression because all these things that I was good at were perfect. I won't say perfect, but just you, you know, say perfect. <laughs> <laughs> they were it, everything was so much harder. Mm-hmm. So again, it's oh my god, how much more is my life going to change? So yeah. So what helped you? Do you think? And it could be many. It could be many things. But what helped you move through that period? When I finally let go of being embarrassed, not wanting to talk about my issues with having MS. The biggest thing was being embarrassed because again, here I am, always had things, you know, I got it going on and blah, 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 blah. blah. No, seriously. Yeah, no, I'm laughing, but I know it's true because here's a secret though, Teresa, you still have it going on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. I don't feel like it, but I appreciate that. I appreciate I don't I don't see that or feel it, but I appreciate that. But yeah, what really helped me was like I said, once I overcame being embarrassed and not wanting to share the issues and concerns I had, it made a big difference because at that point I started at church, being more involved in church. I started sharing my story with a lot of people and people were like, Are you serious? Oh, oh yeah, stuff like that. And so I started not holding all of this stuff inside and started letting it go outward amongst whomever. And it was no longer embarrassing. I started seeking help and I started looking for things that I enjoy. I enjoyed before that could make me happy on the inside because there are a lot of things that make me happy on the inside. And so I had said that what I was going to do was take those things that make me happy on the inside and start using those things instead of only focusing on the negative. So what I did was I took, I started doing things like going to church regularly because I enjoy that being around people that were positive. And I just refused to deal and be around people that would, that I felt like they were doing a pity thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I started telling people, don't give me pity. Let's treat me like I am. If I can't do something, I'll let you know, but don't automatically assume what I can't do. But I started focusing more on the positive that I could do. So I started changing around some of the things I said. I can't do that anymore, but however, I can take a different way or use a different way and still do the same things that I did before. Like prime example, traveling. I love to travel. So I said, okay, I may not be able to drive the long distance anymore, but however, I work. I still make a little money. And so I'm going to do, I'm going to start putting those dollars, those few dollars I have aside. And so I've got to change the way that I do things like traveling, I have to pre-plan so that I know where I'm going, 
what I need, what I don't need. Like I have a stick, a long stick that I carry when I travel. Yeah. So that if I'm somewhere and I can't do the walk or whatever, I have my long sticks that I carry that, you know, help me along the way. I take all my medicines. So I prepare ahead of time. Yeah. It's like changing the narrative. Yes. Because a lot of times if we will allow ourselves to stay stuck in that I can't do mentality. And of course, when you continuously say, I can't, you won't. Right. So you have to, at some point, say what you can do and look at the things that are still available that you can do, because there are still a lot of things I can do that may not be the things like working. I don't do what I did before, but I still get to talk to patients. I still get to help the patients and I still get to make a difference in their lives. Right. So you just have to look at the positive in some things and let those negatives go. Because as long as you dwell on the negative, that's all it will ever be is negative. And all that's doing actually is hurting you. It's not right. helping you. It's going to make your symptoms worse. It's going to make you go downhill faster. And I want to live and I want to continue to enjoy life as much as I can. Heck yeah. I think that's that's one thing is that our brains, our brains are amazing. And that's one thing that is so crucial is to know that whatever you're telling yourself is what you believe. Mm -hmm. And so if you're focusing on negative things, it can be like a habit. I do know that the human brain can be a little bit more skewed to the negative. And that's just mm -hmm. because of survival instinct. And mm -hmm. it's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with feeling a negative emotion or looking at things negatively. But understanding that if that is what you train yourself, if that is, that is what you're always looking at, mm -hmm. and you're training yourself to always see it, that's what you're going to see. And so if we train ourselves to say, look, let's flip this around. Let's look at what we can do. And I think it's it's such a great example what you were talking about with your with your career is it's okay, you can't do what you were doing before, but let's look at what it was that you liked about what you did before mm -hmm. and how can you get that someplace else. Right. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. You're like, look, I'm still helping patients. I'm still yep. doing amazing things. I'm still connecting with people and talking with people and serving. It's just in a little bit of a different way. Exactly. And so another thing that I started saying to myself, I'm not a victim with MS. I'm a victor with MS because I'm going to overcome having MS. Now, no, I can't change the damage that it's already done. I can't even slow the process that's going on. But what I'm going to do is continue to overcome or do what I can while I can at this moment. I'm not going to sit around and wallow in pity. I'm not going to sit around and wallow. Oh, my God, I don't feel good because I don't feel good 24-7. But I don't walk around and say, oh, my God, I'm having a rough day. The only time anyone around me knows when I don't feel good is when <laughs> my kryptonite gets me. <laughs> when the kryptonite gets me, I'm in la-la land. So you're going to know, oh, my gosh, she's weird. <laughs> she's, you know, some, I've heard people even, I've even, which is crazy because I'm like, I take too many drugs. And I've even had people say, 
Do you drink and stuff like that? Yeah. No, I'm, I have not drank. I have not done anything out of abnormal. I'm just not feeling good. So mm-hmm. I'm a little weird. So, but yeah. You know, I remember, and I don't know if they still have them, but back when I was working with the National MS Society, they had little cards, like laminated cards that say, like, I am not drunk, I have multiple sclerosis, and sometimes my symptoms, yada, yada, yada. And it's like cards that you could give to people. I've seen them at, I've seen that on Instagram. Have you? Yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. The, I know and they the have MSSI. the one on Instagram also where it shows, like, the electrical shock through your body, but it tells, like, all the different symptoms from the electrical shock that's going on in our bodies. Oh, yeah, and it's wow. interesting because I'm like, I never thought about that, but that is truly how I feel on some days. But a lot of people don't understand that. They're like, really? I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the many really cool things about the ice bucket challenge. Do you remember that from mm-hmm. a couple of years ago? Because <laughs> the idea was when you and I, did you ever do it? I did not, but I did <sighs> tell my doctor, my daughter, and she Oh my God, she got on me so bad. I like taking ice baths. And I had told her that I did that. Mm-hmm. And she told me not to ever do that again because she said that it would mess, it would, because my nerves obviously already jacked up. So she mm-hmm. said that it was more or less going to damage more of the nerves by doing that. But I no told kidding. her I love sitting in ice and it feels so good. So now I don't sit in ice, but I do take a lot of cool showers yeah and it feels really good <laughs> Wim Hof is all about I will put a link to that actually in the show notes to Wim Hof and, and his work with like ice showers and things like that which is interesting but the ice bucket challenge what I thought was really interesting is the reason why they said to pour a bucket of ice on your head mm-hmm. is because the way your body reacts with that shock of how it can feel to have ALS it's that initial shock, but I think they, they feel it on a, a more permanent basis. But it was one of those things where it's like, this is how it feels. And, and it was a way to get the word out to I had no idea people. why they were doing it. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's yeah. very interesting. That's wow. I had no idea. We don't have to do something that goes viral <laughs> and right. becomes a worldwide sensation <laughs> and actually raised, I think, a ton of money, which is fantastic. But it's just the simple thing. And, and you said this earlier, and I, which I, I want to highlight because I think it's so important, is telling our story. Mm-hmm. And something like that can be so powerful, not just for us, but for other people. Right. But it's also something that is very vulnerable. And it takes a lot of bravery, especially for that first time. If you haven't been sharing your story and you're not entirely sure if people know, and it's something that people can't see outright, it can be very powerful, but very scary. Yeah, I agree. But for me, I had to release everything that I was holding inside because it was hurting me. You know, so I said, I don't care anymore. I'm going to release this and I'm going to start, as they say, living out loud. And I'm going to do what I need to do to live a better life. And so I started looking for, like I said, things that were going to help me live a better quality of life. And so 
a lot of times it's hard for us to find those things. But a lot of things, like I said, I love listening to positive things. I love them. I like to laugh. And so it's just been a blessing um, that I have found now that all the podcasts that are going, that are happening now, because I have so many podcasts that I listen to, that I laugh and I learn from. It's just great. So they help along with the different sermons that I listen to. So even with the pandemic, I didn't miss a beat. I actually feel like I gained more knowledge and stuff during the pandemic than what I had before the pandemic because I increased my listening to things, the positive things compared to when there is no pandemic, you listen sparingly. Whereas during the pandemic, I increased what I was listening to, increased how often I was listening to it. I started turning off a lot of things that I once before was listening to and doing and started just mainly entirely focusing on positive things. And so that's where I am now is it's got to be positive. It's got to be. I usually do at least 95% of my life in the positive aspect. Wow. At least. Now, I might have a moment here and there where I get angry about something, but once I'm angry about it, I let it ride for that day. After that, I'm done with it, and then I move on. The next day, I'm good, and I move on to something else, but I don't stay there for days and weeks at a time anymore. I, I just don't do that. I refuse to allow myself to do that. Well, and it, it's so interesting because, you know, what you're talking about is just normal processing of emotions. Mm-hmm. And it's some, and I was, I I had no idea how to process an emotion when I was really? first diagnosed. I had no clue, no clue. I was like ice. <laughs> I was like, I just watched Top Gun. So I was like ice man, ice woman. I just, I had no idea. I had to teach myself and read and learn because when you don't know how to process emotions in the way that they are meant to process Mm -hmm. or to be processed, which is to let them move through, take a moment, allow them, let them move through your body and then move on. But when you don't know, it's not like you don't have emotions. They're still there. Right. They just don't go away. Processing to me is kind of like when you sweep something up and you kind of open the door and you sweep the dust out the door and then you're done. It's out. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to do that, you sweep, maybe you'll sweep it up, but your door is still closed. Right. And so the dust isn't going anywhere and it's all up in the air and it's just staying there, like you said, for days or weeks and mm-hmm. you can't get out of it. And then it becomes habitual and it feels like this huge scary thing. And then all of a sudden you realize, I don't want to process emotions because look at this emotion. It won't go away. Right. But once you do process emotions like that, it's exactly what you're saying. So it's, I think it's super interesting. And I also, I want to highlight this because you, you're like 95% is positive. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe you, but I, my hunch is even if you do have negative emotion, you just don't look at it as a negative emotion. You look right. at it maybe more neutrally right. or as something that you just kind of process and move on. And to process a negative emotion and to let it move on is actually a very positive thing. And so I love what you said where you're like 95% is positive and it, absolutely it is. But I'm like, I bet you're just, you're processing things and you're doing it in a very positive type of way. And my daughter had told me that 
she, I know one day she, because she was hit by a car. And mm. so she was yeah. having pain. And um, she said, I don't ever, she said, now I understand what you She said, I don't know how you do this and how you've been doing this for so long. And I made the comment that it has become normal. Mm. And she said, that should not be a normal, <laughs> that should not be a normal function or, or feeling that you should have adjusted to. She said, because it's not normal. And I didn't know how to take that. But in my world, and when I say my world, I mean like how I live, what pertains to me and my body and the way that I deal with it for like when I was first diagnosed, I didn't know how to deal with the pain, not seeing, not being able to drive, not being able to do my job, not being able to comprehend things and all of that stuff. So I went five or six years not knowing how to deal with that. And all it did was, I won't say mess me up, but I was messed up because I had in the midst of that so many close family members die, divorce oh, wow. and all this other fun stuff. So I was trying to fit all of that stuff in with what was going on with me personally. And it just took me a while to actually say I'm going to sit back and I'm going to learn how to deal with all of this that's going on so that I can move on with my life meaning to still function in my life and do the things that need to be done. So when you were saying sitting in it, I sat in it, but I sat in it for a long time. So once I came out of that, I just refused to go back into that because I know what that was like. So now when things come, I say, okay, this is this. How am I going to deal with that? I normally do this. This works. If it doesn't work, I'm going to move on to something else, but I cannot allow this to defeat me. Mm. And so, because I know what it feels like to be defeated. I was defeated right. for years when I was initially diagnosed. And I don't want to go there ever again. That was, that was horrible. Because a lot of those years, I honestly don't even remember. Honestly. Wow. Because it was so bad. And I was literally just doing the bare minimum to stay alive. Right. Because yeah. I, I had to focus on what was more important, which was taking care of my household, which were my girls, and then doing the bare minimum for me just to live, literally. And that was it. And then everything else didn't matter. It was good or bad or whatever. I was literally just doing the bare minimum just to, just to live each day. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to know that everybody processes things differently. Mm -hmm. It can take, I mean, I don't know anybody who's processed a new diagnosis in a month or two. I'm not saying it's not possible. Right, right. <laughs> I certainly right. didn't just take a month or two, but it can take years. It can feel like a lot. And it's often what I'm hearing from you, and you can tell me if I'm if I'm wrong, but often it's a gradual turnaround to realizing like, I think I'm ready to move out from this. I think I'm I've been processing, I've been sitting in it. And sometimes we just need to sit in it. Yep. Sometimes because we don't even really know what it is at that point. 
And then it's just kind of a slow roll out of it, realizing, okay, now what? That's like, very I know- true. And I would all, and, I, and it would amaze me because when I would go into the clinic, the MS clinic, I was always being told that I was a strong woman, and I did not see any of that because I'm sitting, I'm thinking to myself, I'm barely living, so. I didn't understand how I was being told that I was strong when I knew in my head I was literally barely living and just literally doing the bare essentials. Because I'm going to tell you, God and my kids saved me. (laughs) I can honestly tell you that God and my girls, because they have seen me as in situations that they can only say or or know because that's why I guess they're so protective of me because they know what I've gone through to get to where I am today. So they are very, especially my youngest one, very protective over me. So, and I appreciate that. And uh, they often will tell me, mommy, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. It's going to be such and such degrees, such and such, such is going to be high as far as the height, the temperature or walking or climbing on things. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but climbing on things. I climb because I got tired of waiting on someone to change my light bulb after it had been a couple of months. And so I said, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get up here and change my light bulb. Mm-hmm. Well, guess guess who house looked like a crime scene. <laughs> I'm not laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> a house looked like a crime scene, and I had to get six stitches in my leg because. Oh my gosh! Yeah, because of balance. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I said I'm going to get a pair, change my light bulb because I got tired of asking people, and no one would come and do it. Mm-hmm. But now I don't climb up on things because. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, but my house literally looked like a crime scene. Glass was everywhere. <laughs> blood was everywhere. Oh, it was no. just, yeah. Teresa. So I've learned a lot of things that I cannot do um, the hard way. And then some, I listened to the doctor was like, okay, I really can't do that because I realize what they're saying. I really can't do. Yeah. Listen, I I am a avid student of learning things the hard way. <laughs> Okay, so you can relate then. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, you can relate then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I thought I, it I mean, was just me. No. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's not even MS related. I think it's just my entire life. <laughs> oh, okay. I've always learned things the hard way. It doesn't count if it's not... The hard way. The hard way. It doesn't land <laughs> as much. <laughs> But I think that's something important. Sometimes it's only just one or two things that we hold on to that can pull us out of something like a deep depression or mm-hmm. a really hard time. And I think it's important to know that, yes, you you say you had, you know, you had God, you had your girls. Mm-hmm. But I think what you also had is the willingness to let them in. Because we can absolutely shut out as much as we want to shut out and we can have a hundred people who want to help us and we can shut out every single one of them and not see anything. My biggest thing was trying to protect them and still, I guess you could say, in my mind, protecting them was still being this super mom. So pushing myself beyond my limits, but then I would end up crashing and crashing. Yep. I mean, my body would just 
shut down or I would end up losing my eyesight because I have yeah. overdone myself because I wanted to still be this super mom for my kids and be there for them and and go beyond and try and still do all the things that I did before. Like when we were from when I went from my daughter's college freshman event, it was hot as crap in Nacogdoches. And I'm oh, still up there trying to do all the things that I would normally do, but guess who ended up sick? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I missed out on some of the things. And of course she was disappointed, but I still wanted I was still trying to be the mom that I could have, that I would have been before I had MS. So I was still trying to act as if I had no limitations, but I did have limitations. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something, again, it's like we, a lot of times we talk about comparing ourselves to other people, but I think the most dangerous thing that we can compare ourselves is to our vision of what we could be in our mind's eye, which is not even a real thing. Right. Because we have no idea. If you didn't have MS, like would would that even still have happened? Or maybe there was something else that was going to happen. Or we just don't know. Right. And so not only is it like, are we not comparing ourselves to an actual person? We're comparing ourselves to this figment in our imaginations. And we all do, I do this too. We all do this. It's this figment of this Wonder Woman. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're never going to live up to that because that does not exist and could never exist right? for anybody. But I think the thing with that is I feel like we often want to believe that our lives would have been different and better and that different, different, better than what it is now if we did not currently have this chronic disease. And like you said, not realizing that we can't predict what it would have been because we don't know. Right. It's just one of those things where in our minds, we're hoping and, and thinking and wishing that this is who and how it would have been, but not realizing that we don't know. Because again, it could have been worse or it may have been better, but we don't know that because we're living in the here and now. So, but that's, that's very true. Yeah. So what piece of advice or what one thing would you say if there's, I'm sure there are people listening right now that are thinking this is, uh, I want to be more positive because we talk about it all the time. I talk about all the time. How, what's the one thing that someone can do right now, even if they feel like there's no reason to be positive, what's the one thing they can do right now to start being bringing more positivity into their lives, like real positivity, not like faking it till you make it, but like actual positivity? Well, one is don't give up on your life that you're living currently because your life at this moment is, as long as you're saying negative things, negative things will continue to occur. Like they always say, you want to speak what you want. So if you're speaking negative, then obviously negative will come. So my thing is, if you have something that you enjoy or have enjoyed, start doing those things because those things have not changed that you enjoyed. It's just that you're no longer pursuing those things because those things that you once enjoyed, they're still there. So you can still enjoy those things and that will help. And you've got to learn to be around 
people and things that are um, positive and things and people that are going to lift you up, not bring you down. Because the minute that you are around those things or doing those things that bring you down, then obviously it's not going to help you be happy. You're going to stay stuck where you are. So you yeah. got to learn to find the things that you enjoy. You can't go somewhere that's going to make you feel sad and think that you're going to be happy. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't yes. work like that. It's it contagious. I like that. Yeah, I think a lot of times we focus on adding what can we do to be positive, but it's like, you know what, what can we take away from our experience mm-hmm. to stop us from being pulled towards the negative? Yep. Both are super important. Yep. You're going to have you're going to have some moments when you're not at your best, but you got to find a way to not allow yourself to stay in that situation what you've got to do is learn how to deal with that situation hit on and do what you can to resolve it or do what you can to deal with it but don't allow yourself as my dad would say sit in it deal with it and let it go and keep going because if you don't and you sit in it all it's doing is pulling the good air and energy out of you into that situation that's still not resolved there are just some things and like you have no control over and you can't fix. So you've got to let it go and keep going. I love it. Well, thank you so much. I have taken up way too much of your time. <laughs> uh, I think that's a fantastic place to end on. And I am so I am so glad that you came and that I was able to talk to you and share with the listeners what I know is, like I said, one of the most positive people that I have truly ever met. But thank you, Andrea. And I'm going to miss you this weekend at the events. I know. Think of me. (laughs) I will. Do you ever go to the ones where you are now or no? No, I haven't. I haven't for, I'm trying to think of the last one that I went to. I think the last one I went to is the one that, one of the ones that I was, I was doing. I think I did one at Mindset a little bit ago. And that was the last one I've done. And so pandemic, everything. So I'll yeah, we still got to still wearing mask and everything, mm. but you know, I'm excited. I'm excited to be yeah. around people again and all of that stuff. And I did the. I know we're supposed to be ending. I'm gonna say this in a week. No, ago. that's okay. But I did yeah. the MS walk, and that was amazing. Mm, that's always um, fun. I was so proud of myself to have done two laps around. I wanted to do the third, but the heat was getting me, and I was just exhausted. But I was just proud of myself to do the two laps around. So I, my goal is to still participate in as much as I can with the MS Society. So That's give it fantastic. a out where you are. And Yeah, yeah. Now that everything's opening back up for sure. Well, thank you again. And we will talk soon. All right. Take care, Andrea. Have a good weekend. Stay cool. <laughs> <laughs> if you like the show, don't be shy. Please give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening right now. To see complete show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit andreahansencoaching.com. Thank you for joining me, and until next time, take care.